Caught on the Ebb Tide by Edward P. Rowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Like Many Waters. Caught on the Ebb Tide. The August morning was bright and fair, but Herbert Schofield's brow was clouded. He had wandered off to a remote part of the grounds of a summer hotel on the Hudson and seated in the shade of a tree had lapsed into such deep thought that his cigar had gone out and the birds were becoming bold in the vicinity of his motionless figure it was his vacation time and he had come to the country ostensibly for rest as the result he found himself in the worst state of unrest that he had ever known minnie madison a young lady he had long admired was the magnet that had drawn him hither her arrival had preceded his by several weeks and she had smiled a little consciously when in looking at the hotel register late one afternoon his bold chirography met her eye there are so many other places to which he might have gone she murmured her smile however was a doubtful one not expressive of gladness and entire satisfaction in mirthful saucy fashion her thoughts ran on the time has come when he might have a respite from business does he still mean business by coming here i'm not sure that i do although the popular idea seems to be that a girl should have no vacation in the daily effort to find a husband i continually disappoint the good people by insisting that the husband must find me i have a presentiment that mr schofield is looking for me but there are some kinds of property which cannot be picked up and carried off nolens volens when found schofield had been animated by no such clearly defined purpose as he was credited with when he sought the summer resort graced by miss madison his action seemed to him tentative, his motive ill-defined, even in his own consciousness, yet it had been strong enough to prevent any hesitancy. He knew he was weary from a long year's work. He purposed to rest and take life very leisurely, and he had mentally congratulated himself that he was doing a wise thing in securing proximity to Miss Madison. She had evoked his admiration in New York, excited more than a passing interest, but he felt that he did not know her very well. In the unconventional life now in prospect, he could see her daily and permit his interest to be dissipated or deepened, as the case might be, while he remained in the strictest sense of the word, uncommitted. It was a very prudent scheme, and not a bad one. He reasoned justly. This selecting a wife is no bagatelle. A man wishes to know something more about a woman than he can learn in a drawing-room or at a theatre party. But now he was in trouble. He had been unable to maintain this judicial aspect. He had been made to understand at the outset that Miss Madison did not regard herself as a proper subject for deliberate investigation, and that she was not inclined to aid in his researches. So far from meeting him with engaging frankness and revealing her innermost soul for his inspection, he found her as elusive as only a woman of tact can be when so minded, even at a place where people meet daily. It was plain to him from the first that he was not the only man who favored her with admiring glances, and he soon discovered that young Merriweather and his friend Hackley had passed beyond the neutral ground of non-committal. He set himself the task of learning how far these suitors had progressed in her good graces. He would not be guilty of the folly of giving chase to a prize already virtually captured. This, too, had proved a failure. Clearly would he know what Mr. Merriweather and Mr. Hackley were to Miss Madison. He must acquire the power of mind-reading. Each certainly appeared to be a very good friend of hers, a much better friend than he could claim to be, for in his case she maintained a certain unapproachableness which perplexed and nettled him. After a week of rest, observation, and rather futile effort to secure a reasonable share of Miss Madison's society and attention, 
he became assured that he was making no progress whatever so far as she was concerned but very decided progress in a condition of mind and heart anything but agreeable should the affair continue so one-sided he had hoped to see her daily and was not disappointed he had intended to permit his mind to receive such impressions as he should choose and now his mind asked no permission whatever but without volition occupied itself with her image perpetually he was not sure whether she satisfied his preconceived ideals of what a wife should be or not for she maintained such a firm reticence in regard to herself that he could put his little finger on no affinities she left no doubt as to her intelligence but beyond that she would not reveal herself to him he was almost satisfied that she discouraged him utterly and that it would be wiser to depart before his feelings became more deeply involved at any rate he had better do this or else make love in dead earnest which course should he adopt there came a day which brought him to a decision a party had been made up for an excursion into the highlands miss madison being one of the number she was a good pedestrian and rarely missed a chance for a ramble among the hills schofield's two rivals occasionally got astray with her in the perplexing wood roads but he never succeeded in securing such good fortune on this occasion as they approached a woodchopper's cottage or rather hovel there were sounds of acute distress within the piercing cries of a child evidently in great pain there was a moment of hesitancy in the party and then miss madison's graceful indifference vanished utterly as she ran hastily to the cabin schofield felt that now probably was a chance for more than mere observation and he kept beside her an ugly cur sought to bar the entrance but his vigorous kick sent it howling away she gave him a quick pleased look as they entered a slatternly woman was trying to soothe the little boy who at all her attempts only writhed and shrieked the more i dunno what ails the young one she said i found him a moment ago yellin at the foot of a tree something's matter with his leg yes cried miss madison delicately feeling of the member an operation which even under her gentle touch caused increased outcry it is evidently broken let me take him on my lap and schofield saw that her face had softened into the tenderest pity i will bring a surgeon at the earliest possible moment exclaimed schofield turning to go again she gave him an approving glance which warmed his heart the ice is broken between us now he thought as he broke through the group gathering at the open door never before had he made such time down a mountain for he had a certain kind of consciousness that he was not only going after the doctor but also after the girl securing a stout horse and wagon at the hotel he drove furiously for the surgeon explained the urgency and then with the rural healer at his side almost killed the horse in returning he found his two rivals at the cabin door the rest of the party having gone on miss madison came out quickly an evanescent smile flitted across her face as she saw his kindled eyes and the reeking horse which stood trembling and with bowed head his ardor was a little dampened when she went directly to the poor beast and said this horse is a rather severe indictment against you mr schofield there was need of haste but and she paused significantly yes added the doctor springing out i never saw such driving it's lucky our necks are not broken you are all right doctor and ready for your work schofield remarked brusquely as for the horse i'll soon bring him around and he rapidly began to unhitch the overdriven animal what are you going to do miss madison asked curiously rub him into as good shape as when he started she turned away to hide a smile as she thought he has waked up at last the boy was rendered unconscious and his legs speedily put in the way of restoration he will do very well now if my directions are carried out strictly the physician was saying when schofield entered mr merriweather and mr hackley stood rather helplessly in the background and were evidently giving more thought to the fair nurse than to the patient 
the mother was alternating between lamentations and invocations of good on the young leddy's head finding that he would come in for a share of the latter schofield retreated again miss madison walked quietly out and looking critically at the horse remarked you have kept your word very well mr schofield the poor creature does look much improved she evidently intended to continue her walk with the two men in waiting for she said demurely with an air of dismissal you will have the happy consciousness of having done a good deed this morning yes replied schofield in significant undertone you of all others miss madison know how inordinately happy i shall be in riding back to the village with the doctor she raised her eyebrows in a little well-feigned surprise at his words then turned away during the remainder of the day he was unable to see her alone for a moment or to obtain any further reason to believe that the ice was in reality broken between them but his course was no longer non-committal even to the most careless observer the other guests of the house smiled and mr merriweather and mr hackley looked askance at one who threw their assiduous attentions quite into the shade miss madison maintained her composure was oblivious as far as possible and sometimes when she could not appear blind looked a little surprised and even offended he had determined to cast prudence and circumlocution to the winds on the morning following the episode in the mountains he was waiting to meet her when she came down to breakfast i've seen that boy miss madison and he's doing well what so early you are a very kind-hearted man mr schofield about as the average that you are kind-hearted i know at least to everyone except me for i saw your expression as you examined the little fellow's injury yesterday you thought only of the child i hope you did also mr schofield she replied with an exasperating look of surprise you know well i did not he answered bluntly i thought it would be well worth while to have my leg broken if you would look at me in the same way truly mr schofield i feel you are not as kind-hearted as i supposed you to be and then she turned to greet mr merriweather won't you let me drive you up to see the boy interposed schofield boldly i'm sorry but i promised to go up with the doctor this morning and so affairs went on he thought at times her color quickened a little when he approached suddenly he fancied that he occasionally surprised a half wistful half mirthful glance but was not sure he knew that she was as well aware of his intentions and wishes as if he had proclaimed them through a speaking trumpet his only assured ground of comfort was that neither mr merriweather nor mr hackley had yet won the coveted prize though they evidently were receiving far greater opportunities to push their suit than he had been favored with at last his vacation was virtually at an end but two more days would elapse before he must be at his desk again in the city and now we will go back to the time when we found him that early morning brooding over his prospects remote from observation what should he do propose by letter no he said after much cogitation i can see that little affected look of surprise with which she would read my plain declaration of what she knows so well shall i force a private interview with her the very word force which i have unconsciously used teaches me the folly of this course she doesn't care a rap for me and i should have recognized the truth long ago i'll go back to the hotel and act toward her precisely as she has acted toward me i can then at least take back to town a little shred of dignity he appeared not to see her when she came down to breakfast after the meal was over he sat on the piazza engrossed in the morning paper an excursion party for the mountains was forming he merely bowed politely as she passed him to join it but he ground his teeth as he saw merriweather and hackley escorting her away when they were out of sight he tossed the paper aside and went down to the river purposing to row the fever out of his blood he was already satisfied how difficult his tactics would be should he continue to see her 
and he determined to be absent all day so to tire himself out that exhaustion would bring early sleep on his return weary and leaden-spirited enough he was as late in the afternoon he made his way back but firm in sudden resolve to depart on an early train in the morning and never voluntarily to see the obdurate lady of his affections again just as the sun was about sinking he approached a small wooded island about half a mile from the boat-house and was surprised to notice a rowboat high and dry upon the beach some one has forgotten that the tide is going out he thought as he passed but it was no affair of his a voice called faintly mr schofield he started at the familiar tones and looked again surely that was miss madison standing by the prow of the stranded skiff he knew well indeed it was she and he put his boat about with an energy not in keeping with his former language strokes then recollecting himself he became pale with the self-control he purposed to maintain she is in a scrape he thought and calls upon me as she would upon any one else to get her out of it weariness and discouragement inclined him to be somewhat reckless and brusque in his words and manner under the compulsion of circumstances she who would never graciously accord him opportunities must now be alone with him but as a gentleman he could not take advantage of her helplessness or plead his cause and he felt a sort of rage that he should be mocked with an apparent chance which was in fact no chance at all his boat stranded several yards from the shore throwing down his oars he rose and faced her was it the last rays of the setting sun which made her face so rosy or was it embarrassment i'm in a dilemma mr schofield miss madison began hesitatingly and you would rather be in your boat he added that would not help me any seeing where my boat is i have done such a stupid thing i stole away here to finish a book and well i didn't notice that the tide was running out i'm sure i don't know what i'm going to do schofield put his shoulder to an oar and tried to push his craft to what deserved the name of shore but could make little headway he was glad to learn by the effort however that the black mud was not unfathomable in depth hastily reversing his action he began pushing his boat back in the water surely mr schofield you did not intend to leave me began miss madison surely not he replied but then since you are so averse to my company i must make sure that my boat does not become as fast as yours on this ebb tide otherwise we should both have to wait till the flood oh beg pardon now i understand but how can you reach me wade he replied coolly proceeding to take off his shoes and stockings what through that horrid black mud i couldn't leap that distance miss madison it's too bad i'm so provoked with myself the mud may be very deep or there may be quicksand or something in which case i should merely disappear a little earlier and he sprang overboard up to his knees dragged the boat till it was sufficiently fast in the ooze to be stationary then he waded ashore well she said with a little deprecatory laugh it's a comfort not to be alone on a desert island indeed can i be welcome under any circumstances truly mr schofield you know that you were never more welcome it's very kind of you any man would be glad to come to your aid it is merely your misfortune that i happen to be the one i'm not sure that i regard it as a very great misfortune you proved in the case of that little boy that you can act very energetically and get lectured for my intemperate zeal well miss madison i cannot make a very pleasing spectacle with blackamoor legs and it's time i put my superfluous energy to some use suppose you get in your boat and i'll try to push it off she complied with a troubled look in her face he pushed till the veins nodded on his forehead at this she sprang out exclaiming you'll burst a blood vessel that's only a phase of a ruptured heart and you are used to such phenomena it's too bad for you to talk in that way she cried 
It certainly is. I will now attend strictly to business. I don't see what you can do. Carry you out to my boat. That is all I can do. Oh, Mr. Schofield, can you suggest anything else? She looked dubiously at the intervening black mud and was silent. I could go up to the hotel and bring Mr. Merriweather and Mr. Hackley. She turned away to hide her tears. Or I could go after a brawny boatman, but delay is serious, for the tide is running out fast and the stretch of mud growing wider. Can you not imagine me Mike or Tim or some fellow of that sort? No, I can't. Then perhaps you wish for me to go for Mike or Tim. But the tide is running out so fast, you said. Yes, and it will soon be dark. Oh, dear. And there was distress in her tones. He now said kindly, Miss Madison, I wish that like Sir Walter Raleigh I had a mantle large enough for you to walk over. You can at least imagine that I am a gentleman, that you may soon be at the hotel, and no one ever be any the wiser that you had to choose between me and the deep, ah, uh, well, mud. There is no reason for such an illusion, Mr. Schofield. Well, then, that you had no other choice. That's better. But how in the world can you manage it? You will have to put your arm around my neck. Oh! You would put your arm around a post, wouldn't you? He asked with more than his old brusqueness. Yes, but... But the tide is going out. My own boat will soon be fast. Dinner will grow cold at the hotel, and you are only the longer in dispensing with me. You must consider the other dire alternatives. Oh, I forgot that you were in danger of losing a warm dinner. You know I have lost too much to think of that or much else. But there is no need of satire, Miss Madison. I will do whatever you wish. That truly is carte blanche enough even for this occasion. I didn't mean to be satirical. I, I, well, have your own way. Not if you prefer some other way. You have shown that practically there isn't any other way. I'm sorry that my misfortune, or fault, rather, should also be your misfortune. You don't know how heavy. I soon will, and you must endure it all with such grace as you can. Put your arm around my neck so. Oh, that will never do. Well, you'll hold tight enough when I'm floundering in the mud. Without further ado, he picked her up and started rapidly for his boat. Stepping on a smooth stone, he nearly fell, and her arm did tighten decidedly. If you try to go so fast, she said, you will fall. I was only seeking to shorten your ordeal, but for obvious reasons must go slowly. And he began feeling his way. Mr. Schofield, am I not very heavy? she asked softly. Not as heavy as my heart, and you know it. I'm sure I... No, you are not to blame. Moths have scorched their wings before now, and will always continue to do so. Her head rested slightly against his shoulder. Her breath fanned his cheek. Her eyes, soft and lustrous, sought his. But he looked away gloomily and defiant, and she felt his grasp tighten, vise-like, around her. I shall not affect any concealment of the feelings which she has recognized so often, nor shall I ask any favors, he thought. There, he said, as he placed her in his boat, you are safe enough now. Now go aft while I push off. When she was seated, he exerted himself almost as greatly as before, and the boat gradually slid into the water. He sprang in and took the oars. Aren't you going to put on your shoes and stockings? Certainly, when I put you ashore. Won't that be a pretty certain way of revealing the plight in which you found me? Pardon my stupidity. I was preoccupied with the thought of relieving you from the society which you have hitherto avoided so successfully. And bending over his shoes, he tied them almost savagely. There was a wonderful degree of mirth and tenderness in her eyes as she watched him. They had floated by a little point, and as he raised his head, he saw a form which he recognized as Mr. Merriweather rowing toward them. There comes one of your shadows, he said mockingly. Be careful how you exchange boats when he comes alongside. I will give you no help in such a case. She looked hastily over her shoulder at the approaching oarsman. 
i think it will be safer to remain in your boat she said oh it will be entirely safe he replied bitterly mr merriweather must have seen you carrying me that's another thing which i can't help mr schofield she began softly he arrested his oars and turned wondering eyes to hers they were sparkling with mirth as she continued are you satisfied that a certain young woman whom you once watched very narrowly is entirely to your mind he caught her mirthful glance and misunderstood her with dignity he answered i'm not the first man who blundered to his cost though probably it would have made no difference you must do me the justice however to admit that i did not maintain the role of observer very long that i wooed you so openly that every one was aware of my suit is it not a trifle cruel to taunt me after i have made such ample amends i was thinking of mr merriweather undoubtedly since he has seen me with my arm around your neck you know i couldn't help it well perhaps he might row the other way if if well if he saw you what shall i say sitting over here by me or somehow i don't feel very hungry and i wouldn't mind spending another hour schofield nearly upset the boat in his precipitous effort to gain a seat beside her and mr merriweather did row another way end of caught on the ebb tide by edward p Rowe. Read by Like Many Waters.